With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you have those notes that are in the weekly bulletin, I encourage you to take those out. If you're brand new with us, we use those to aid us to fill in the blanks as we go to engage us. Our purpose in doing that is that our desire here is that we're not simply here only to receive. Uh, and I pray we do receive God's truth, God's word this morning. But part of our mandate is that what we receive, we reproduce in the life of others. And so um, my notes are not uh, scripture. So let me make sure we communicate that. They are not uh, divinely inspired. However, I pray that it helps to take the divinely inspired scriptures and bring it to, to light, to understanding for us so that we may obey them. That's our goal in our, in our study is that we would not be forgetful hearers, but we would be doers of the word James says to us and uh, and so in that, that's our goal and our desires. Two weeks ago, we began to look at two of the offices in the context of any local assembly. And we looked at the official recognized servant, which is what we call deacon, which comes from the Greek word diakonos. And so it's just recognized servants that would carry out particular areas of ministry in the context of the church. And then last week, and then again this week, we're going to be looking at the context of elders, which is simply... Um, as you'll see in First Timothy, you see the office of overseer. And we talked about those terms being synonymous and, and um, interchangeable with pastor, shepherd, elder, or overseer. And so that's what we desire to do. And in doing that, I want you to hold your place there in First Timothy 3. And I want to just answer maybe a question that uh, last week I kind of answered a question. So what? So like, why would we want to take time to be able to, to discuss this? And even this morning, even some of the conversations I've had, which are extremely helpful, is maybe to take a moment just to, for us to, to answer this question. In light of all that else is in going on in the context of our world, right, that potentially Planned Parenthood could be defunded and it wasn't, and uh, the redefinition of marriage, in the context of our community, it's, and all that's going on within our culture, that why would we take time to do this? Why would we take time to be able to share this? And even in this topic, is discussing elders important and even loving? Is that something loving to do? Are we being legalistic in our, our approach to this? Uh, why is the topic of elders uh, important when there could be much more pressing needs within the body of Christ that we could be able to address? And as I talked about issues and things within the context of our culture that we might need to respond to. And what about those hurting through a variety of circumstances within our own faith family? Like, why wouldn't we take time to address these things? And why are we staying in the context of this particular service? And, and even series that we're in. And I, I want us to be able to answer this right out of the context of Scripture like I did last week. Um, Peter addresses in First Peter uh, people that are suffering and under severe persecution. And in, in answering this, he takes time, the variety of other exhortations to address elders in responding to them and how they would respond well. And I just wanted to read First Peter 1. Our first Peter five, one through four to you real quick. You don't have to turn there. Just listen to me. And I want to just kind of use this as a springboard for where we're headed. And Peter says in the midst of suffering, he says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So in the midst of a church that's suffering, he says, hey, just know our great shepherd has suffered as well. And so you begin to think here this morning, why would we talk about elders when I'm suffering? Well, know this is that it's important because 
These elders, these shepherds who are shepherding you or called to shepherd you are only falling at the example of the great shepherd. He says, I, uh, a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, he says this to those elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly not domineering over you and your charge, but being examples to the flock or to the body of Christ. And when the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, appears... You will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so in the midst of a people who are suffering, he takes time to address elders. And so the question is, is and not only that he takes time to address that, but even how they should shepherd well. And the question can be posed is, why would he do that? Like, why would he just only talk about all their feelings and how they hurt and how the emotions that they're experiencing? And here's why. It's because these elders are going to be helping be the tangible hands and feet of Jesus. That's what he says there, that you're going to be caring for them, just as the great chief shepherd cares for them. And then one day he's coming back to show the perfect example of what they, or the perfect image of what the example they were trying to portray. But as you begin to see this, we won't see Jesus on this planet except through the body of Christ carrying that out. And who leads the body of Christ? These under shepherds, these pastors, these elders, and they're trying their desire to live this example out before them. And so elders will carry out some of the very basic promises and provisions and principles that God's seen that's given us through his scriptures. So we just begin to think about all these bedrock promises that are given to us is that God is going to care for us and tend to us and minister to us. What tangible ways is God going to do that when he's not physically here? And the Bible would answer that. One of those means, not the only means, but one of those means is going to be the the hands of your pastors, your elders, your overseers. And so they watch after the souls of the body. They provide care for, feed, and protect the flock. They are visible and tangible expressions of God's love and care for his children within the local assembly. And that's why we still want to take time to make sure. And as we see more and more elders risen to the top, guess what that means? More and more opportunities for to watch after your souls, more opportunities for provide care, to feed, protect, uh, to provide for the body of Christ uh, through these elders. And so that's why we want to take time to be able to walk through these. So I hope that it comes across. This is a loving passage. This is a loving text that we want. And if it's at any point it's not come across that way, hear this pastor say, that's why we talk about this, because we want to love you better. We want to love you more efficiently, more effectively as, as we walk through this. So in your notes, at blanks we need to fill, and you'll begin to realize, if you weren't here last week, Hey, like half the page is already filled in. That's because I started a series or started a sermon last week that did not finish. And so I just want to blow through these. There's an entire sermon on this, but just for sake of just walking through the outline, we're going to walk down the outline together. And, but I'm not going to spend hardly any time just basically just reading through this. So we have context so where we dive into our particular passage. All right. So that fair where we're headed to be able to see uh, where we're at. And then the crux of our time is going to be right here in our passage, first Timothy chapter three. And we'll unpack all those qualifications of an elder. So let's talk about what an elder is not first. So if we're going to talk about what an elder is, um, uh, let's talk about first what it's not. And what an elder is, a biblical elder is not, is simply a man who's more advanced in years. And that's what the term elder can mean. But that doesn't mean just because you're older or more mature doesn't mean that you're qualified to be an elder. And so that's what it does not. does not necessarily just mean anyone who's advanced in years. Number two, it's, sim- it's not simply a man who's successful in business ventures. It's great that you are. 
But as we're going to see today, CEO pastor isn't the qualifications that we're simply looking for. Number three, it's not simply a man who's actively involved within the community. Glad that you are, hope that you are, encourage that you are. Uh, One of the characteristics is that you'd be well thought of by outsiders, but it's not the only characteristic that's needed. Number four, it's not simply a well-known, popular, friendly, and tenured church member. So, which again, great to have those, but they still have qualifications they need to meet. Number five, it's not simply a well-spoken, self-promoting politician, right? So we're not just here getting votes and passing out pens and giving the thumbs up and kissing babies, right? So it's more to this shepherding than just simply uh, politics. And then number four or number um, six there, it's not simply a female. An elder is not a female. And we saw that the qualifications uh, is that it be a male, and it's built in and rooted in the teachings from 1 Timothy chapter 2, um, uh, verses 9 through 15, primarily in verse 12, where it says that a woman's not supposed to exercise authority over her husband and also not to be able to teach over, uh, over men. And so this is rooted in the creation. Uh, we're head and helper uh, from Genesis chapter 2. Man was created first, and the wife was created to be a helper in, in that context. And so, once again, a lot more time was taken last week to explain that, but this is the context of what an elder is not. Then we begin to look at what an elder is. We looked at the biblical definition of an elder. And the biblical definition of an elder, as you see in your notes, is a man of exemplary Christ-like character who's able to lead God's people by teaching them God's word in a way that profits them spiritually. So Christ-like character it's leading God's people by teaching. So primary target there is to be able to expound and, and exhort the word of God, to teach, to preach God's word in a way that profits people spiritually. That's why we have notes is that hopefully you can be able to receive the word and then reproduce that word in life of the people you'll come in contact, in contact with. Contact with. And then uh, in that definition, you see three different titles and to use interchangeably for this office I alluded to earlier overseer or bishop, where we get the word episcop- from the word episkopos in the Greek, elder from the word presbyteros, and then shepherd, pastor, and from where that Greek word poimen is where that is seen. If you want to find out where those passages are, one was in the very text that we looked at just moments ago, First Peter uh, 5, 1 and 2, you begin to see where Peter addresses the elders. As a fellow elder, so that's the term, and he says then even that, that you should shepherd the flock. Um, and then he says in that same context, providing oversight. And so you see the verb forms of the other n- names, overseer and shepherd, in that particular text. And so you see that the three off, that the office uh, used those three names interchangeably, overseer or bishop, elder, pastor or shepherd. And you also see that in Acts chapter 20, Verse 17 and 28, you see the same three names used or the same three verb forms of those names used as elder, overseer, pastor, or shepherd in Acts chapter 20 as well. So you see those names interchangeably woven through uh, uh, in the context of pastor. So when you begin to see that and you look at other denominations, we have an elder, we have a pastor, we have uh, an overseer or bishop. Hey, that's all the same name. Don't let that uh, intimidate you. If they're using it biblically, There's no difference. That's the same office with each one of those. There's not three distinct separate offices. Those are the same office. So that's the definition of an elder. Now let's look at the expectations of an elder quickly. Three, uh, four expectations of elders. Number one is teach the word of God. As we saw in Acts chapter 20, that they were teaching the word to them, caring for them, providing for them. As Paul says, he was innocent of their blood, uh, of, the, of the, any blood they may have on his hands in, their, in and through their death. Because why? He had taught them faithfully with the whole counsel of the word of God. To lead under the authority of God. And so ultimately, I'm leading as a pastor. Any pastor's leading, but it's ultimately under God's authority. 
And he says they were appointed by the Spirit of God in, in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. And they were accountable by the Son of God in that same passage, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. And so they're leading under the authority of God. Number three, they care for the church of God. And so they're providing care for the church, ministering. That oversight, is, as Hebrews thirteen seventeen would say, uh, that they are watching after the souls of men. So we're caring for them by watching over their souls, uh, praying for the sick in James five fourteen through 16, Acts chapter 20, 29 through 32, caring for them and protecting them from false doctrines and from um, even wolves that would come in amongst the body of Christ to protect the body of Christ from those wolves. And so they care for the body of Christ. And as we saw in 1 Peter chapter 5, is to be examples uh, unto the great... Um, the, the great picture of, of what we're supposed to become becoming, and it's the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're supposed to display the character of God. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And then I said in First Peter chapter 5, we see that they're shepherding the flock. And the question that begs for us is that what would happen if the church really did imitate its elder or elders? You think, well, I'd better take a good look in the mirror, correct? Um, then am I modeling this well? And then as we look at a plurality of elders. And so as Pastor Tim and I, are we modeling this thing the way the Bible would ask us to model it? And are we asking for aid and encouragement and instruction from others as we're walking through this process? And so that would be the expectations of an elder. Teach the word, lead under uh, the authority of God, care for the church of God, and display the character of God. And then we hammered out two of the characteristics of uh, our, two of the qualifications of the elder. That's your third point there, qualifications of the elder. So if we look at what it is, we've seen the Definition, we see the expectation, now we see the qualifications, and there's 14 of them. I could have added more, but I just tried to stay primarily rooted in 1 Timothy chapter 3. You can also see 1 uh, Peter 5, 1 and 2, Titus 1, 5 through 9, Acts chapter 20, uh, and pull. And we could have just had this big, long list, but 14 is enough, just pulling right out of the text of 1 Timothy 3. So let's just start with those as we walk through those. And so as we talked about last week, number one, they're above reproach. That means not being able to be held by anything. Uh, and what that means is if you're going to be, if I'm going to be arrested, what are they holding me on? What charge are they holding me, uh, in prison? And ultimately there should be no charges. And so that's what the reality in this is. We talked about before being blameless. Now I used the illustration of the flag football, right? And in flag football, you wear the little belt, it's got the flags on it. And if that were a representation of sin, anybody who sees it and grabs it should come off easily. I'm not tying it and rigging it up so I can hold it. I'm dragging kids down the field with it on. It should just tear off easily. That's why in, in Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about that. As we're running this race and this author and perfecter is the Lord Jesus Christ, and we've got our eyes fixed on him, and we should throw off, we should cast aside any of these, these sins that would weigh us down and so easily ensnare us and entangle us. And this is what it means to be above reproach, not able to be held by any accusation. A one-woman man, we talked about that, that if we literally translate the husband of one wife, then any single guy wouldn't be allowed to be able to be uh, an elder. And yet you see... Jesus would have been disqualified, correct, uh, from that. The Apostle Paul would have been disqualified from that. Potentially even Timothy would have been disqualified from that. And so if we look at this, we begin to think through this process and go, well, uh, it, it can't just simply be a husband of one wife. So what does it really mean? And it literally translates a one-woman man. And so as we talked through that and we looked at other things, what about divorce and and uh, what about remarriage? And, and so would there be situation issues where a person would be disqualified? Sure, but not every situation as we look through those characteristics and qualifications. Like I said, spent a lot more time discussing that last week, so you can listen to the podcast. Now we're picking up a new material now. So number th- third qualification, sober-minded. 1 Timothy 3, verse 2, they should be sober-minded. It literally uh, can maybe your translation, if you have the KJV or other translation, is temperate. That literally means wineless, without wine, or unmixed with wine. 
So it definitely can speak to a caution toward us to the use of alcohol and its abuses. But that's not what it only means. That's why it's not translated that. And I think there's issues or reality. That's why it's translated because later on in the context of our passage, it says that ultimately they're not a drunkard in verse 3. So I don't think that's a primary target. So what does this temperate or this sober mindedness really mean? It can also mean alert, watchful, vigilant, and clear headed. So what, what's the premise behind this word sober minded? It's a leader who is able to think clearly and will remain alert and not allow anything to dull his senses. Sober-minded. I understand. And so last week I, I, I shared man, that how I, was, I had some anxiety. I was just anxious. Just sober-minded about the heavy responsibility I have as a pastor to teach God's Word and the responsibilities I have for the qualifications. It's what it means to be sober-minded. Clear-head. I want anything to dull my senses. I want, God, help me to be faithful to where I'm at. And that's what it means to be sober-minded. Number four, self-controlled. From 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, also see that same characteristic in Titus chapter 1, verse 8. It's a man who's governed by the Holy Spirit and is serious about spiritual matters. So if you're self-controlled, you're serious about spiritual matters. Sometimes people will say, Pastor, I just think you take this thing way too seriously. That's, that's a compliment. So I'm, I'm going to take it as such. That's a great thing. I mean, I'm, I take this thing seriously. Well-disciplined and has proper biblical priorities and perspectives. His actions and emotions are in order. If you think about being self-controlled, I don't just erupt in emotion. And I'm not, to be self-controlled as even the fruit of the Spirit would be that I'm, my emotions are in check. So if I'm in a difficult meeting or having difficult conversations, I don't just lose it. I'm, I'm able to remain intact in, in because while I'm well-disciplined and have proper biblical priorities and perspectives. And so my perspective is God's sovereign. So I, I shouldn't get too, many, too high or too low. Uh, because why? God's sovereign over this. He's in control and he's never lost his ability to be on the throne. And so he's, he's overseeing. That's why Job could be able to be just as steady and just say God's able to give and take away. Because why? He was self-controlled. He understood that God was sovereign over the mix of this. And that's one of the characteristics of an elder. Number four, or number five, respectable. Translation says respectable, First Timothy 3, 2. It basically means being self-controlled or prudent. That would eventually lead to being respectable. So we look at sober-minded and you know, so being sober-minded, I'm self-controlled. And then being self-controlled or wise in that situation will then eventually lead me to be respectable or lead the, the elder to be respectable. It simply means orderly and well-disciplined thinking that would eventually lead to orderly and well-disciplined living. And so whereas self-controlled is how, my, would, uh, how an elder would govern uh, his life or uh, with biblical priorities and perspectives, this is how it fleshes itself out in the tangible actions of, of his life. And so it's one who is not in a constant state of confusion or chaos. He's grounded. He's rooted. And so as a result, his life looks as such. His life is one that is stable and admirable, the type of life that others would want to follow. And it's because why it's flowing out of sober-mindedness. It's flowing out of self-controlled living. And once again, in that right thinking or believing leads to right behaving. And so as a result of that, it leads to respectable behavior for that elders. So number six of 14 is hospitable. This is interesting. And studying, even for me, I was able to learn some things and gain some insight in this. Or just maybe be reminded if I'm sure I've studied it before, but did not really take it to heart. I think most times we look at this and it's like a person would host people at their house often, right? But it, the natural translation is much more rich, much more full in that. And so in 1 Timothy 3, 2 says to be hospitable. Titus 1, 8 also gives that same characteristic. It literally means, it's a compound word that means to love strangers. To love strangers. Isn't that interesting? And what does that mean? Here's me give you a kind of a practical working 
definition of this is an elder, uh, and a, and a definition in a practical sense. An elder should be an individual whose home and life are open and available to a friend and stranger alike to see the grace of God at work. Think about that. Most times we would, friends, we would want friends to come over our house and we're hospitable to our friends because that's really normative. But when you begin to think what, it, what the actual definition is, if we're willing to host strangers who we don't know, then of course it would imply that we would, we would host uh, friends and family members that we do know, but that's the reality in this particular picture is it's to love strangers. And so as a pastor, I begin to look at my heart, man, I love strangers, meeting people and, and, and getting to know people and, and just opening my home and inviting people to my house to prefer maybe that I'm, they visit the church for the first time and say, hey, man, come over to my house. We'd love to be able to get a chance to know you and engage in that process. And so it's one who loves strangers. An elder should be an individual whose home and life are open and available to a friend and stranger alike to see the grace of God at work. So that's what it means to be hospitable. Next, to be able to teach. Now, this is what brings one of the massive distinctions between the office of an overseer and the office of a servant. And that's the difference between a, a bishop or a deacon, as we've seen. And it's the ability to be able to teach. You see that in 1 Timothy 3, able to teach. Titus 1.9, you're going to see the same kind of definition. It's in Titus 1.9 says, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that it may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine, also rebuke those who contradict it. So you've got to be able to handle the word to, con- to uh, contradict those who would, and rebuke those who would say, Hey, this isn't what the word of God really teaches. Titus 2.1 says the same thing, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So you've got to be able to know what's his sound doctrine to be able to teach it. And so an elder must, here's qualification, must be able to teach the word of God to the flock or the faith family. Not only is there a desire to feed the flock, as we've seen in Acts chapter 20, in Acts 20, 26, it says, Therefore, Paul, I testify to you this day, I'm innocent of the blood of all you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So, not only is it to teach, the desire to feed the whole flock, but to protect the flock with the word of God. As we saw then later on in Acts 20, where he says to the other elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And so this, this able to teach is not only there's a desire to feed the flock, but there's also a desire to protect the flock. In both ways, we're feeding and protecting with what? The Word of God. That's what we have. That's our, that's our standard. And so in that, that's what an elder must be able to do, be able to teach. Next, we see it is not a drunkard. First Timothy 3, verse 3, and Titus chapter 1, verse 7. An elder must not be addicted to wine or alcohol. So Ephesians 5, 18 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, uh, but be filled with the Spirit. And so the life of an elder must not be primarily characterized by drinking, but by the Spirit of God. And so these guys who bang the drum about drink, 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 man, that's not what the Bible says. It should be your primary mode and means. You should be known for an individual who is full of the Holy Spirit. Not your stance on alcohol. And so I know there's bouncing debates on that whole process. And, but the reality is that not, here's what the Bible says. Don't be characterized by wine or alcohol. And then clearly it's for, forbidden uh, for any believer, much less the pastor, to get drunk. So that's why the Bible says in Ephesians 5, do not get drunk with wine. That's to all the Ephesian believers, not just the Ephesian elders. Because that would be a waste but be filled with the Spirit of God. And so the characteristic we should be known for is not alcohol, but should be the Spirit. Next would be, he's an elder, should be not violent, 
but gentle. Not violent, but gentle. First Timothy 3, verse 3 and Titus 1, 7. It literally translates. I love giving the literal translations because it really helps us to be able to see it. Not a giver of blows, right? I'm ready to duke it up. So uh, not a striker. I'm not going to strike you if you don't do the things I want you to do. And so an elder should not be a person who responds in difficult situations with physical violence, but one who remains calm and is gentle. So you don't get them riled up. You just... Hey, we'll just address what you say. It's a difficult circumstance, but hey, let's just remain calm. Let's remain gentle in this process. And so John MacArthur, I'm going to quote him as he speaks of this gentleness. He states it this way. It describes the person who is considerate, genial, forbearing, and gracious, who easily pardons human failure. Such a person remembers good, not evil. He does not keep a list of all wrongs done to him or hold a grudge. He says, many leave the ministry because they can't accept criticism. A leader, when wrong, must have no thought of retaliation. And that's the picture here of a person who is not only not violent, but then the opposite of that is gentle in his approach. And so that's the characteristics. Next would be not quarrelsome. You see that in 1 Timothy 3, verse 3. This person's not quarrelsome. It just kind of goes through the list here in order. That literally means peaceful or reluctant to fight. So I'd be right in line with not violent but gentle. And then it's not quarrelsome. And so it's not, it's not reluctant to fight. Whereas um, the previous section, not violent, speaks of physical. Quarrelsome here, being peaceful or reluctant to fight, does not speak to physical violence but to a con- uh, or a contentious person. Uh, but it spe- I'm sorry. does not speak to physical violence, but it addresses the concern of a contentious person. So you like to fight with your words. Right, where the other person remains is willing to fight as a striker, is not willing to go to blows. This is where you strike with your mouth and you're contentious. And a contentious leader or bully will lead to disunity and disharmony. Jeremy Ryan in his book, Church Elders, speaks to this quality. It says, there's a famous Swahili proverb that says, when the elephants fight, the grass is trampled. Well, that's pretty obvious, right? So uh, Swahili proverb, when the, grass, when the elephants fight, the grass is trampled. Likewise, when a church is separate or combative and aggressive, the sheep get hurt. They get trampled. Titus 1.7 says that an elder must not be quick-tempered. This characteristic goes a long way to maintaining unity within the body if we're not quarrelsome or if we're peaceful. And so just as Proverbs 15.1 says about all believers should be true of a pastor, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And so the goal here is not to be quarrelsome. So you don't want to be... Physically violent, but gentle. So not a giver of blows, not a striker. And then also you don't want to be a contentious person. You don't want to be, uh, you're reluctant to fight in a sense of um, verbally uh, and uh, in the context of just relationships with people. Now you should and will fight, as we've seen before already here, as Paul addressed, um, uh, the, and even uh, in, in Acts chapter 20 with the elders there at Ephesus, being able to teach part of that fighting is to contradict error. As we saw in, in not only that, um, Acts, but then in Titus, that we should be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. You know, as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So we know we've got to fight against poor doctrine, but not against people. And so we don't want to be a contentious person, not quarrelsome. Not a lover of money. It's our next, next point there. Not a lover of money. You see that in 1 Timothy 3, verse 3, and also Titus 1, 7. Not greedy for gain, it says there in Titus. 1 Peter 5, 2, as I read earlier. Not for shameful gains. We're not in this for gain. Uh, and then even the latter section of Acts chapter 20, verse 33 to 35, Paul says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and those who were with me. And all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said, is more blessed to give than to receive. And so an elder must be content and not have a love for money. 
It's not a goal to make money off of God's people, make money off of a variety of other things. Uh, our goal should be just to be content. We have food and, and drink and clothing. First Timothy says we should be content. That's contentment, right? Food, drink, clothing, contentment. You think, well, what about a house? You remember the statements, the words of Jesus? Right? The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Birds have, uh, birds have um, nests and um, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And so he didn't have a house. He didn't own a physical house. And so the same, it's not wrong if we do, but the reality is God doesn't make the promises that we have to have a physical dwelling in that. Our contentment should be food, drink, clothing, as the Scripture teaches us. And so we shouldn't have a lover of money. So when you see pastors who are, or evangelists who are telling you to send your seed gift in so he can buy his plane. Don't think it's lined up here, right? So just don't think the Apostle Paul is right in line with that particular pastor or evangelist. So be cautious. Be very, very cautious. He's a lover of money. Next, he manages his household well. Manages his household well. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, it says... He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. So how do you lead your household well? One would be your children would be submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And so the implication there is that the same means in how we would govern our homes is how we would govern the church. Same thing in Titus chapter 1 verse 6. And it says, and his children are believers. could also be translated they are faithful and are not open to charge of debauchery debauchery or insubordination. And so the training ground for effective eldership is in the home. Managing the spiritual climate of the home is an intentional and profitable ministry. The goal is nothing. This here's the key for if anyone is aspires to the office of an elder, here's what you need to be gleaning from this. The goal is not simply behavior modification or management of said behavior, but a revealing of the heart or hearts in your home in light of the gospel. If an elder's home is not in order, then he's not qualified to lead the church. And so let me just walk you through really briefly, really quickly, how that plays itself out in my own home. We have what we call the yellow couch. So if you've sat in my house, you move, walk into the, our place, and you, and you ride in the context of our parlor. And all the parlors, two bedrooms. And, and so there's some sliding doors where I typically meet with people if you're meeting at our house. And it's kind of an official meeting and not just fellowship and hang out or whatever. Then it's... We kind of go in a different area, but this is where I would do premarital counseling and a variety of other counseling. And so we've got these doors that slide and it's right off the entrance of the house. And in the parlor, there's this chair where I would sit and there's a love seat that's right next door where I would meet with people and they would sit there for those counseling sessions. Well, if you get in trouble at Edmund's household, you go to the yellow couch is where I would sit when I'm giving the counseling sessions. So we say, go to the yellow couch and that's where they go. And then the yellow couch is where they receive instruction and correction, discipline. And so we would go there and every time that I'm, Children go to the yellow couch. We're going to address the actions that were sinful and were harmful. And in that time, calmly, not with anger, I'm going to begin to communicate to them before they receive whatever discipline is handed down to them. At that particular time, we're going to walk through why that sin that sin they occurred sent Christ to the cross. Every single time. Why? They need to know Christ if he's going to make payment for their sin, what that sin was. And they're repenting to Christ, and then they're getting right and reconciled with those who and restored to those who they've harmed and hurt through as a result of said sin. And so we'll talk to them. So they say they disobey their parents. My parents, Charity and I, we'll begin to talk to them and say, listen, these aren't our instructions. These are God's word. And so God's word says you should honor your father and mother. You should obey them. 
You didn't do that. So as a result, there could be harm that could be brought as a result of that. And so in light of that, this is, those type of sins are what Jesus would die for so that we, those sins could be forgiven. And so we want to be able to see, I want them to see their heart, and I want them to see their heart in light of Christ, and I want them to see their heart in light of what Christ has done for those who would be saved, and as a result, then that maybe one day they will be saved. And so every time there's an opportunity to discipline, I'm not mad. Every time I, I go to discipline, I'm not angry with them. Every time I want to reveal their heart, I want to shepherd their heart, I want to care for their heart, so they begin to see themselves in line of God's character. This is why a few weeks ago when we were talking church discipline, I had to publicly repent because I have not done that with many of you as often as I should. I did not care for your heart as much that I would want to shepherd it and get down to the inner workings of your heart. Why? Why, Pastor? Because I don't love you as much as I love my kids. And God's teaching me, you've got to love them that much. Let me just tell you how, if you've got children, that's a full-time job. It's exhausting. Hence, let me give you why we need a plurality of elders. Because it's exhausting. If I can do that in my own household, then this should be carried out again and again and again on the cross of every single person that's a member within this body of Christ that we're given an account to to, uh, watch after your souls. That's a massive thing to do. It's a burdensome thing. And I mean in a negative sense, but just the heaviness, it's weighty, burdensome. That's what Paul says. As he began to talk about all the beatings and all that he's endured, he says, and on top of that, all the anxiety of all the churches. Paul, you don't like the churches? No, he just understands the magnitude of their souls in light of the churches that God used him to found to share the gospel and then see those churches. That's why you continue to see these letters being written to these pastors and churches because he cared for them. And so he needs to be able to manage his own household well. Next, he must not be a recent convert. So you think, what is that about? Well, first of all, let me just communicate to this is that, um, yes, and it makes more sense now as, as you see tenured churches. But you've got to remember, at the beginning when Pentecost happened, everyone was a recent con- convert, right? And so you're gonna, it, it's, it's on a scale, right, it's a little bit. Now that we have more existing, exist, existing churches, it's easier to see that play out. Uh, but even when you go to new areas uh, and the gospel sh- is being shared in portions of the world, the gospel hasn't been heard or it's been re- rejected for a length of time. You've seen generations rise up that haven't heard the name of Jesus. You're going to see that he's maybe in our terms would still be a recent convert. But in light of others that he would be caring for and shepherding, he might be just a little bit ahead of them. And so carefully. So what does it mean then to be a recent convert? Well, you want to see that there's maturity, there's understanding of God's word. And so. So what's the premise behind all this? Well, let's look up the text says at first, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Now that's not saying the devil condemns him, right? That's not what it's saying here. Cause guess what? The devil is an accuser and a slanderer. So what the name devil or, or Satan means accuser slanderer. So he's always trying to condemn us. So it doesn't mean that like, Hey, you want to make sure you don't get puffed up. Cause you don't want the devil to condemn you. No, it's speaking of Lucifer who is an angel of light. Right? Who is an, an angel of God and then fell because why? He got puffed up, conceited. He wanted to be God. And so that's what it's warning us of. Don't fall into the same condemnation that Lucifer, Lucifer fell into. Don't think that you're something so big or something so important that you become God or you're trying to become God. You can't become God. But in your mindset, in your desire, you want the same glory that God receives. And that's what it's aiming for here. And so the admonition to a new convert is due to the fact that he may become filled with pride. This is a similar caution. Toward pride that is seen in Titus 1.7. He must not be arrogant, Titus 1.7. Therefore, in choosing an elder, he must not be a recent convert, prideful, or arrogant. I think you see both of those being used. So it's not only prideful or arrogant, but you don't want a new convert because he may fall into that same 
uh, um, condemnation that the devil had fallen into as well when he was then rejected and kicked out of heaven and took a third of the angels with him that became demons at that particular time. You're like, where is all that? That's for a different sermon at a different time. So, but it is in your Bible. So next, last, last of the, the 14th of our qualifications must be well thought of by outsiders. Must be well thought of outsiders. That's what it says in first Timothy three, verse seven. Moreover, he must be well thought of outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. So this is now the scheme of an evil of the devil, the evil one that one will want to make him be disgraced. And so an elder must be a man of godliness, holiness and integrity everywhere he goes. Not just simply in the context of the church. This is clear inside and outside the local assembly. An elder must demonstrate faithfulness in every single venue he finds himself. You see this taught in other passages as well, like, for example, Philippians chapter two, verse 14 and 15. Not only addressing elders, but to all, it says, do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom this, this crooked and twisted generation, you should shine as lights in the world. So wherever you go, if you think, man, I'm, maybe pastor, I want to be an elder one day Then I'm saying, be faithful in your job with your coworkers, be faithful in, in the classroom with your classmates and your professors. Be faithful in the context of your home. Be faithful within your neighborhood. Be faithful in a variety of means that God places you. Same thing as Philippians 2, 14, 15. You see it in Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So you want to be wise. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. First, Tim, First Peter 2, 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak evil, speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So inside and outside the church, an elder should be a lover of good, be upright, holy and disciplined, as Titus chapter 1, 8 instructs us. So there would be other characteristics that I think would fall into being well thought of outsiders. Lover of good, upright, holy and disciplined, as Titus 1, 8 instructs. So qualifications of the elder seen there. Now, it doesn't say so much about what he's doing in the context of the body of Christ, does it, right? It's primarily just could he be affirmed, and if, he, if it's going to be affirmed, this is what the characteristics you need to look for. So we're looking at other places to see uh, what his function was, is what we talked about previously. What are the expectations of an elder? Qualifications. Now, let's look at the expression of elders. That's our next point, the expression of elders. How does this how do elders get expressed in the local assembly? So how did that look here within our faith family? The answer is a plurality, meaning more than one, a plurality of elders within one local family. So as you look at and you address how elders would be seen in the context of body of Christ, you don't simply just see one pastor. And you look at most Southern Baptist churches and 40,000 SBC churches, you can see probably most of them have a singular pastor, whether he's full-time or bivocational. And then there's probably a lot of laymen that, sur- that surrounded him. Not a, you don't see a plurality of elders. So first of all, that's not even normative for our SBC. First SBC president began to talk about uh, a plurality of elders in, in his comments and addresses uh, when the very first SBC president we ever had. And so this is kind of a newer phenomenon in church history as we go back and look at from, from uh, Pentecost on. Yeah, this kind of a CEO model is what we've seen in, as of late. And so it seems normative to us, but this isn't normative for the Bible. And so... Plurality of elders, more than one elder within one local family is how you see this play out. And so this could be seen as full-time paid staff elder 
and then lay elders that work a variety of different jobs and are still eldering, they're still overseeing, they're still shepherding, pastoring with the, the paid guys in, in light of this uh, oversight of the body of Christ. You see, where do you see this in passages? Let me just read some of those you have listed there. Acts fourteen twenty three, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so as they go to every church, they're appointing elders, a plurality of them in every church. That's Acts fourteen twenty three. You see in 1 Timothy five seventeen, it says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So those elders who are ruling well should be considered worthy of double honor. Double honor. Uh, and so you see that uh, plurality of elders. Titus 1, 5. This is why Paul writing to Titus, why I left you in Crete, the island of Crete, so that you may appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So every town there would probably be a local assembly. And so in that local assembly says, hey, there needs to be a plurality of elders in every town. James five fourteen. as James is speaking to the church, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Singular church, plurality of elders. Call, let him call for the plurality of elders, more than one, of the church, singular, local body, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Then you see in 1 Peter 5, 1, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So you see, once again, again and again and again and again, a plurality, more than one elder in every local assembly. So which begs this question, right? So it'd be a good question to ask. Is this the current structure of Cherokee Baptist Church? Do we have a plurality of elders? And I would say yes and no. Yes, because I'm a pastor. Pastor Tim is a pastor, so there's more than one. But I would say, but if you're looking at it from a governance standpoint, it's no, it's, it's not. Uh, that's not the way we, we're being designed. It's hence why we're walking through this study, this series, not only of elders, but a variety of other things as we begin to want to be more biblical in our setup. So the answer to question is the current structure of CBC. Is this the current structure of CBC, a plurality of elders? No, it's not. But it is the direction that we believe most biblical and the direction that we're moving toward. I know that many within the audience, potentially even here, Presently, may or may not know our history, so I'm going to take just a moment to kind of briefly recount the history of CBC so that you know where we are, where we are currently, and where we're headed to in the, in the days ahead uh, coming up very, very quickly. So prior to coming to CBC, prior to my coming here, the church polity or the church, and I say polity, it means government or governance, how the church will be ran, reflected a church council-led congregationalism. So the authority would be the church council. And it was made up of a variety of people upon the pastor was one of those individuals. But upon that process of my being called as pastor, I didn't see that particular form of church governance to be the most biblical model. And so in that, when the church was going to vote to hire me as pastor, they called me and then we're going to vote and have a vote to be able to hire me as pastor. They were only agreeing to hire me, but they were also agreeing to no longer function as a church council led church, but as a pastor led church. So that would be a singular pastor. It would be kind of the CEO model. Now, in sharing about that, this was a more biblical church governance that put the, the, the authority with the pastor, but it was one, and it was one upon which I was more familiar with at the time. So based on my previous tenure of the church I was serving in, that's the model they had. It's a model that I had come to embrace and begin to look at. And so that's what was, I asked the church to be able to do. And upon being voted unanimously, that's what the church embraced. However, as I've studied the scriptures, and as 1 Timothy 3 says, to immerse myself in the word and to practice those things, you may see my progress. 
Over the last eight years, you've seen progress. And so as I've studied the scriptures and grew an understanding of church polities or church governances uh, over the past couple years, I've come to see that a plurality of elders is a much more biblical model as is shown in the New Testament and even those verses I just walked you through. And so this is the polity, this is the government, this is the governance that we desire to be seen in our, that you will see in our future documents is that there's a plurality of elders that will be overseeing the relationship within the church. So as I say that, I know this discussion may be new for you, right? You may be thinking, governance, polity, I don't even have any idea what you're even talking about. Or then you may be thinking that uh, whether well, that is even a, a relevant topic, or is this even, is this even important? We, listen, we love you, we trust you, this is fine. Well, but it is important. It's only important, once again, because as we study, this isn't study just for us, remember? We're receiving this truth. We want to reproduce this truth. And so you may have loved ones that are in different areas, and their governance isn't healthy. And so you want to be able to help them to be able to make sure that if there's problems in the church, it might be because the way they're structured, right? And so we want to aid in that process. And so uh, I do believe it's relevant. Or simply, you're just unsure how one form of government is more helpful or harmful than any other different form of government. So what does it matter? So what? I answered kind of this week and last week about our whole study. Well... I get all those questions. I understand that. So that's why next week, I want to take just a moment. We've added one, added topic. That's the one I'm going to teach next week. And the topic is church polity, church governance. Why is that important? Why would we need to study these various different forms of church government, how they're alike, how they're different? And, and all that's why. We want to aid us in understanding the biblical basis for where we're headed. And so when I, just give you some examples. Church council-led um, congregationalism. People say, well, I'm a congregationalist. Well, and it's its strictest form of congregational in governance, that would mean that every single decision needs to be made has to be voted on by the church. You know how cumbersome that would be? We wouldn't do, get anything done because we'd always be calling quorums to make sure that we could vote on something. So you say, well, I'm, I'm for congregationalism. Not in its truest form, because if you're in that truest form, we don't do anything. Everyone has to vote on everything that we'd be able to do. So you think, so what do you mean by congregational? When I said congregation, church-led congregational, or um, uh, church council-led congregationalism, I mean congregationalism in a sense of autonomous churches. We don't have a, a body that's overseeing us that tells us what to do. That's what's beautiful about Southern Baptist churches is that we don't report to a governance that maintains things, that doesn't assign pastors here or, or that we have to follow in. We, we join the Southern Baptist Convention because we agree in doctrine, not because that there's some hierarchy we have to follow. And there's a beauty in that. There can be a potential danger in that too, right, because you could have crazy churches doing crazy things. And they get, yes, they get kicked out of the SBC, but they're still crazy churches doing crazy things, and there's no accountability there. However, and the other side, the picture of this is they be able to say there's a beautiful thing because you don't have, if the denomination goes liberal, the churches don't have to follow. There's no one forcing you to be able to do those things. And so, but then you've got a variety of other means. So I want to just take some time to be able to say, well, what would be the difference in different types of church governments and how they would work and then what we're presenting forth as the governance that we would like to see so that you have an understanding of how things work and how they would interact with each other. And so that'll be next week. But to simply answer your question that you didn't ask, but I asked you to ask by answering this, plurality of elders in this expression, we don't currently have that, but I, we desire to put that forth with our new governance. You think, next question could be, well, if that's where we've been, how come you've been here eight years? How come we're not have that in place yet? Remember that little section where I said, I quoted first Timothy chapter four, when I talked about you practice and immerse yourself in these things, which is staying in the scripture. They may, that they may see your progress. Yeah. That's where my progress has called us up to. So about a couple of years ago, 2014 is when, or 2013, 2014 is really when I began to understand a plurality of elders and begin to study and see it in scripture and be confronted with it in scripture and go, you know what? The singular pastor mode isn't the most 
wise venue to be able to be in. And there's benefit to why God had a plurality of elders in each church. And so that's why. So you've been saying, why haven't we gotten there yet? Well, because we're growing in that process and you're growing. That's when we began to pass out books about what is a healthy church, what is a healthy church member, church discipline, church membership. Because I wanted to begin to see, man, as I begin to be aware of these things, I wanted to begin to put them in your hands. And so some of you are saying, well, I thought we've heard about this a lot. Over the past couple of years, we've talked about it a lot to prepare us for this season of our lives now to say, now let's move forward with what we've been taught, what we've been seeing. And so that's why we haven't had it at this point. It's because when we came, when I came, here's the, the model I asked for. You guys were gracious in moving that direction. I do believe it was more biblical than what we had. But I believe this to be the most biblical as a plurality of elders was already seen there. So which begs the question, getting back to our notes, why then is elder leadership important? Why is there not just simply one leader, one elder, one pastor leading, but a plurality of elders serving the body, serving the church? And there's three points that I think answers that question quickly. And then we'll, we're going to have a uh, time of response and a response song, and then we'll be dismissed. I believe three things is why this is important. Elder leadership is important and a plurality of elders seen. Plurality of, plurality of elders does, number one, uh, supports the pastor's insufficiencies. Believe it or not, there's some insufficiencies that I have, right? I mean that in tongue-in-cheek, right? There's massive amounts of insufficiencies that I have. And a plurality of elders grants wisdom. It rounds off my rough edges, and it even aids in my insecurities. And so a plurality of elders aids in that process. And so as we add other pastors to our staff, Hope we add other lay elders to our, our team. Our goal is to see the, the elder team there growing, that we could be able to oversee the spiritual condition of our flock, to oversee their souls, to watch over the souls of the people with a variety of guys on our team. And so it supports the pastors and sufficiency. So that would be number one. Number two, a plurality of elder, elders encourages church unity. So not only does it support pastors and sufficiencies, but it encourages church unity. It protects the pastor from unjust criticism. It promotes more harmony within the body of Christ. It creates uh, support from the congregation as a covenant community. So as more pastors have more opportunity to be able to oversee the souls of men and women has an opportunity then for it to create more unity, more uh, unity in the midst of our diversity and more harmony within the body of Christ. Because why? More pastors can do more work, can do more overseeing, can care for the body of Christ. Remember that yellow chair, right? So getting sometimes having to get people in the yellow chair and talk through discipline issues, but also to get guys and a variety of other chairs where you're being loved on and encouraged in our house. Uh, no different than the house of uh, the house of household of God, as we see here, the, the local assembly that we're loving on one another. And so it supports the pastors and sufficiencies and it encourages church unity, even in the midst of our diversity. And the last point, a plurality of elders equips the church for ministry. Once again, since the past, the singular pastor um, is would have a ton of work to do. And that's why you think, well, a pastor, if you've been here eight years, how it took you so long uh, to be able to study and even find this? Well, number one, just trust the sovereignty of God, right? So I'm um, God's sovereign over this church and sovereign over calling me here. Why did it take you so long to be able to figure out a plurality of elders? Well, when you're the sole pastor and you're responsible for all the demands within the church, that's a lot of work. Right. So it's, it's a process in that. But even as we begin to see it, it's one of those things. Reality is I begin to see it in Scripture on not only those other two things, but you begin to go now in light of that. You begin to go, well, man, the pastor now is not solely responsible for all the demands within the church. More ministry can be accomplished. The workload can be shared among uh, the other leaders. Uh, other things can be able to give, be given away. And so it's a much more beautiful picture in how all this ties together. So like I said much more. Biblical and very important because why? It will support pastors' insufficiencies, encourages church unity, and lastly equips the church for ministry in line of that. So, what
What do you plan to see next week is for us as we talk through church polity, begin to see how it, how these decisions, how even these men who would be leading out in the plurality of elders would be carried out in our day-to-day tasks and how we begin to see that flesh itself out. And so a lot of the practical things will be mapped out next week when we gather together and then be discussed the following week in your small groups. So question, so what, right? That's what you should be asking every time. Why is this important? Well, if we go back to the opening statement of First, First Peter 5, when it talked about the chief shepherd and when he appears, is that until he appears, elders oversee the souls of men, oversee the souls of women. We join you in the process of discipleship of your children, aid you in the desire and joy to be able to minister to our community, desire to help make disciples of all the nations, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teach them to observe all that God's commanded us, right? Beautiful picture then. He's going to be with us always, even to the end of the age. And so there's a bedrock promise. He's going to be with us as we desire to do this. And so this is what we're going to do along with you as we're equipping the saints to do the work of ministry. And so... The loving picture there is, is that for any man that's in this room, God may be calling you. God may be leading you. And there might, there might be desires within you that aspire to be the officer of overseer. Even if you're a young man and you think, it's going to be a while probably before I would be affirmed. But, man, I have this desire. Here's what I would say then. Prepare. Begin to look at those characteristics, 14 characteristics, and begin to ask yourself. Get other people to walk through that list with you and say, man, how am I, how am I doing in these areas? How do I, how do I, how am I doing? How am I working? Women, encourage your husbands to aspire to this office. And once again, they'll be appointed by the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. I can't do it. They'll be appointed by the Holy Spirit, right? That's what Acts chapter 20 told us. Appointment comes by the Spirit of God. But yet all those characteristics should be characteristics of a believer. Even in some form or fashion, be able to teach. This is a great commission, now, it's not speaking, teaching in a corporate sense here as to the congregation, but it's still, nonetheless, an opportunity for individuals to be able to teach on an individual level. And so there should be these desires. And so to be able to look and say to, to a husband, I believe one day, and, and, and just hear me, ladies, just as, I, as I'm talking to this congregation. I don't say it if you don't mean it. But encourage your husbands to aspire to such a, a noble task. The Bible says, First Timothy 3, it's a noble task. Noble task. Now, I'm, I'm even just look at your husband over dinner or, or lunch today and say, I'm praying that one day you would aspire to be in office of an overseer. It's not saying he has to quit his job necessarily. He could be a lay elder in our position of our church because guess what? As God was, let's just say every single, every single male under the hearing of my voice, every single male under the hearing of my voice, at some point in time within the next 10 years was called to be an elder. Think, where, where with all those? God, what would you do with all those men? Whatever he wants to do with all those men. Imagine how many churches might be planted as a result of that happening in this midst. They don't have to stay here. Quite the contrary. It might be Acts 14 and part of the elders there, which, which Paul was. Um, one of those guys, he and Barnabas, got sent out. What if one day... God says, all right, the current leaders that are here, Pastor Tim, myself, you guys are you are out. Paul and Barnabas, y'all going out to go plant more churches. Who would be here and be left to be able to raise up? What elders would be here to be able to carry on the ministry? And so the desires would say, what a glorious, beautiful picture to be able to think. God could call every single male in this room unto, him, unto himself through the ministry of the elder position.
be beautiful, would it not? And to continue to see churches being planted. God calling us variety of portions of the world for his glory and for the good of others. And so that would be one takeaway. Second takeaway would be this. If you're here and you're hurting, Pastor Tim and I want to help you. Invitations that for that. That's what we're called to do, to watch after your souls, to care for you. If you're here and you're hurting, it's the time for this invitation even, a response time, pastor reception. I welcome you to come talk to myself. Call the office, call me, Pastor Tim and myself. We want to minister to your spiritual conditions as well as your physical, financial, and otherwise condition, relational conditions as well. And so hear us say, we love you, and we want to be the physical hands and feet of Jesus to care for you. And that's without apology, and that's the sincere desire of our heart. And so that's you. You're hurting this morning. Maybe you're not even sure you're a believer, then I encourage you to talk to one of us. Pastor Tim is here, gave our open announcements here in a blue shirt to my left, your right. Myself, we'd love to talk to you after the service and have a chance to be able to share with you. If not, you can look us up on our contact information on the bulletin if you've got one. You can look us up on our website. Variety means for us to be able to be contacted. We'd love to be able to hear from you. So let me pray for us. And then Jason's going to come lead us in one response song and just allow us to worship to God in, in song. And then Pastor Tim will come and give our final announcements. Let's pray together. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.